This is Beyond Species, a podcast exploring issues around speciesism and the struggle to dismantle it. this episode, we hear from Tash. Tash is a vet nurse studying environmental sciences. We learn what a plant-based food system might look like and some of the challenges facing it. Tash sees vegan permaculture as a workable solution that can be done on large scale. We also hear from Tash about some of her experiences as a vet nurse and some thoughts on activism. If you want to start then by telling us about your activism. Yep. So um, I started doing activism about a, well, about a year and a half ago, maybe a bit longer. Um, I went vegan possibly around two years ago. So then I pretty much kind of went straight into activism. The first thing that I attended was a chicken vigil at Moy Park, which I'm sure many people will have actually been to that vigil. It's one of the, the bigger ones that people go to. Um, and then from there, it kind of just spiraled onto being, you know, I got involved in other things such as some direct action. Um, I've been involved with Extinction Rebellion as well at some point, um, and more recently, briefly with Animal Rebellion. Um, and I've been to like the, the usual kind of protests and marches, like the, the march in London. Um, so, yeah, that's where I'm up to at the minute. Mm, OK, actually, just uh, while we're on vigils there, what's your thoughts on vigils? Um, I think, yeah, I do think they're really important um, to some extent. I I think it's really difficult, isn't it? Because, you know, for, for some people, it can like completely change their worldview. It can be like a gateway into other activism. For other people, it can be quite off-putting and can um actually put them off doing any other activism I do find um I think for me it was a gateway into other things because it just made me realize how real it was all these things I'd heard about um in terms of how bad we are treating animals and the exploitation I think it really brought that into reality for me so I found it quite important but going forward I I, I don't know but you know what whether it'll be something people will continue to do or whether it'll kind of die out a bit I'm not sure Mm. do you still go to vigils then um so my last one I went to wasn't it hasn't been this year I don't think I think it was towards the end of last year but I didn't go to as many um in the last few months really as what I was prior to that Mm. okay and um you're studying at the moment yeah, so um, yeah, so I'm doing a, d- a degree in environmental science, which I'm actually able to do from home, which is good. Um, so that's something I started about a year and a half ago, so I'm about halfway through now. Um, and then yeah, I'm doing that alongside my work, so it's it's a really really good degree. I've I've learned so much, um, through doing it, and especially it, it does mean you know animal agriculture does come up as one of the, the problems quite yeah quite regularly throughout my degree. You're a vet nurse by day. 
I am, yes, yeah. So, um, yeah, I went into vet nursing when I was about sort of 17. So I've been doing it for a few years now. Um, definitely a challenging job role to have, particularly being a vegan veterinary nurse within practice. Um, so whilst there are many kind of aspects of it that are like really rewarding, I do think, yeah, basically being vegan within practice is really difficult as you see quite a lot of disconnect um, between certain species. So you do really see speciesism taking place within practice. Um, so I would say... <sighs> Yeah, the, one of the, the biggest difficulties I've had with that is that one day we were nursing um, a chicken within practice and we were really taking good care of her. And then the same vet who was helping me treat that bird was then on lunch eating the same species of animals. So I just I do really struggle with the disconnect. Um, I, I like how I've been able to have a positive impact on the animals I've you know treated and worked with. I do like that aspect of it, but it's certainly a very challenging job role with you know the view of believing that animals should have rights. It's certainly very challenging. Um, I'm lucky enough now that I currently work with a couple of anti-speciesist people. So together we have a bit more of a voice um, in how things are going in practice. But, you know, if I was on my own, I think I'd definitely struggle a lot, a lot more. Um, and even in previous job roles, I have worked with vets who actually go and shoot or hunt on the weekend, um, even within fox hunting at my first practice. So certainly really hard to work with those people. But yeah, wow. <laughs> mm-hmm. very that challenging. Is a challenge. There's so many different things in there that I want to pick out. So I'm not surprised at all that you know there's vets that hunt, and um, that uh, the disconnect between eating, mm-hmm. helping a chicken, and eating a chicken. I, I mean, it, it. It. So I wonder about vets. And cognitive dissonance that it, mm-hmm. do you think it just there must be so much more cognitive dissonance or maybe the vets that you've met did they start out really wanting to help animals really loving animals and then maybe they were a bit naive and then as they studied that the studying as a kind of indoctrination do you think or uh, yeah, so I'd say I've seen um, two types of vets. So I've seen vets that go into it just because it's um, it's not even really well paid, to be honest. But I mean, as in, it's just quite a challenging profession. They're really intelligent people. They're just interested in me- in medicine, really. Um, and then I've seen people that are really passionate about animals as well. I would say that those people, I think, do come under quite a lot of challenges in university because they are taught in a yeah in a certain way I suppose like you say like almost an indoctrination that um farm animals are taught um, treated in a certain way sorry and then small animals are treated differently I do think that that's quite the you know dialogue that goes through uni really um so yeah I, I I don't know it's really hard to say I think a lot of them do care about animals but I do think that their perspective does change by the end of mm. university unfortunately yeah I would say mm. that is true and you said that there's a few of you there now yeah. that are anti-speciesist and you've maybe been able mm-hmm. to have some kind of impact. Can you give any yeah. examples of changes that you've been able to make or what you mean by having a voice? Yeah, so, um, yeah, I can't, I can't go into like massive detail. However, we have mm-hmm. had a couple of cases where um, stray animals have come in and they've been given you know a set amount of hours and then potentially after if no owner comes forward the wrong decision has been made for that 
animal um as in their life's been terminated because we haven't been able to find a home and it's considered a burden on the practice whereas now we have changed the policy so that isn't the case now um and we are able to keep them for a lot longer and then move them on to proper rehoming centers and the people that i work with who are anti-speciesists we have got very specific ideals about where that patient will then go on to um to be rehomed from there so we are quite firm about that as to where they go um and also wildlife as well um i think we now give them a lot more chance to be rehabilitated than perhaps what was happening there before um so yeah that's good (laughs) that's a proper change in the right direction at least isn't it it is yeah slowly it's not obviously everything we want it to be but um yeah yeah but working within that kind of framework it's yeah there's there's not much you're going to be able to change but at least you've been able to move something in the right direction yes yeah and and hopefully we can reach that into other parts of practice obviously we are limited as it is a private practice but anywhere we can we do try to implement you know Mm. positive change yeah okay and you said that um wildlife is also taken in yeah um so we get a lot of wildlife brought in particularly through spring um as you can imagine we have a lot of birds like fledglings that have fallen out of their nests and got lost um often they are brought in for kind of reasons that aren't really necessary so people will find them and worry and bring them in when perhaps they were actually having their parents come and feed them um so there's difficulty there but essentially i am able to take some of those animals on when i know how to treat them um if they do have more specific needs then I try to ensure that they go to a wildlife specific hospital Uh, but if I can provide them with care and and help at home then I will end up taking some home. I have rehandered quite a lot of pigeons for example um, and taking care of quite a few hedgehogs as well so yeah. Mm. Pigeons and hedgehogs. Yeah. with the climate crisis um, I guess that that is quite uh, a topic that's discussed quite often on the on the course yeah definitely is what are the views on animal agriculture then yeah so this is something that is mentioned as a yeah as I've sort of noticed throughout the degree it is mentioned but it it, to different uh, degrees so um within one module for example it will kind of be almost swaying you towards being plant-based um and yet in another module written by a different lecturer it will have a different view of oh there's a better way of doing things we can use animals in a so-called better way that is better for the environment so i do think there's different narratives there as we go from kind of module to module but there is acknowledgement that it isn't what we should be doing especially in the face of the the climate crisis there is acknowledgement that farming animals is not sustainable particularly in the ways that we are doing that at the minute but yeah my degree is covered so so much and there is a lot of quite clear entanglements between human life and the natural world uh, as we always sort of act as though they're completely separate to each other and they'll both kind of exist separately and, and carry on but you see so many entanglements from one to the other um, nothing we really do can go without impact and nothing the planet does we can go without impact to us so that is a kind of thing I've noticed particularly mm. yeah so 
there's obviously there's always going to be differing views i suppose amongst the academic circles about what the right way forward is and you're never always going to get just one right way i suppose but um is the main theme that animal agriculture can be made sustainable yes i would say mm. that that is the main theme that it's more it's a lot more that than it is um you know go plant-based i think a lot of them are going on about sort of small-scale farms and about how it's um what we now refer to i suppose as factory farming that is the problem rather than using animals in general so that is the the overhead theme i'd say yeah i wonder about this because um we often hear from uk farming that they like to play the whole local thing you know they like to say well you know we can reduce carbon emissions by certain ways but it always still involves exploiting the animals um and they talk about like eating local and buy british and all this kind of stuff yeah um, yeah they definitely do the reality would be considering that the uk has so many factory farms now and that the market for meat is so huge that if they were to try and take a step back and move away from factory farms to these small holdings or whatever these smaller operations ultimately the farming industry would lose money anyway because they wouldn't be able to supply the quantities at the kind of efficiencies that they've been able to with this you know capitalist method of doing things so yeah i, I think they're just making up like stories to to kind of paint a different picture when in actual fact i don't think they have any intention of doing that of moving backwards or smaller yeah i get that impression as well i get that it's more about the advertising and the presentation to consumers than it is actually an intention of change um i do i do not see how if people are that set on eating animals that we would be able to do it in a sustainable way with people eating them as much as what they do so i think even if they you know the farming industry had the intention of possibly going back to that kind of way of farming i think there would have to be a huge reduction in what you know the amount of animals that people were consuming and i just don't think that we ugh, i don't know i don't think that that's no. our intention at all to actually switch to that anyway no yeah no i don't think so um there was i was reading something the other day and it was saying that some of the the biggest um chicken facilities in the uk have double check this figure but i'm pretty sure the biggest one was 1.7 million chickens wow uh, yeah, yeah it's so many and like if you think about it with the chickens you know you get these comparisons of like the the kind of the effect on the environment i suppose and red meat is like really really bad and milk's really high and stuff then you've got lamb and then you've got pork and then it chickens kind of always at the bottom because it actually is in terms of the meat production um chicken is really low impact compared mm -hmm. to the others but that's only because they can just cram them into these okay fair enough massive sheds but you can actually fit so many animals into such a small space yeah yeah you definitely can and i think the um industry in particular with chickens is trying to streamline it as much as possible so i think their intention is that in a couple of years that the amount of feed that per bird that they they get they end up producing that much weight in meat 
itself. So they're basically saying that the same amount of grain will go into the bird as what the the protein will be produced from the chicken themselves. So they're trying to streamline it to try and reduce those arguments against that, you know, that industry, I I think, is something that's going on at the minute. Yeah. Yeah, they're good at finding efficiencies, you know, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Um, so in terms of sustainability, then, what do you think would be like a realistic outcome in terms of plant-based farming? So um, there's quite a few things I think we'll see more of in the future of plant-based farming, um, whether people eat more plants or whether we stay the same, just because at the moment we're not able to produce what we need to. And I think we're going to have problems with soil going forward. Um, I think some of the solutions that we will see will include uh, hydroponics, so like growing plants within water tanks inside. I think we'll see a lot of vertical farming. There's a lot of debate as to whether these methods are actually sustainable, but I do think this is something people are beginning to invest in more. Um, My personal take on it has always been that we need to go back to actual farming and ecosystem ways such as permaculture is obviously what I'm really interested in um, but I do think that there's going to be a lot of investment in kind of yeah vertical farming warehouse mm. farming that kind of thing going forward um, mm. yeah I do think that, okay. that's something we'll see more of so tell us more about permaculture then yeah so it's kind of it's hard to kind of go through as much as what I'd like to in this short space of time but um and also when it comes to giving a definition for permaculture I've always been told if you get a hundred permaculturists in one room they'll all give you a different definition um because there's so much to say that it's like hard to shorten it down but essentially permaculture is permanent agriculture so it's a way of setting up an ecosystem of um, farming that does actually behave as an ecosystem rather than one type of plant Um, and it just adheres to several principles uh, and quite a few ethics as well so there's three sort of main ethics that you might have heard of to do with permaculture which is kind of to provide earth care human care and fair shares um in the way that you try to give back to the earth just grow what you need and try to ensure that nobody goes hungry so there's quite a lot of emphasis on food justice um and earth justice as well within the permaculture ethics really um Mm. but yeah so there's quite a lot of techniques as well that people use so some of them have stemmed back to indigenous techniques that have been used for thousands of years um obviously we know that many of these communities have got a lot of knowledge and an amazing relationship with the land so some of what permaculture principles and uh, their techniques will do is to kind of use what these people have been doing for thousands of years um and also there's other methods in there like regenerative principles you know to try and rebuild soils um certain irrigation systems that work really well it's kind of a big yeah it's like so many things going into permaculture it's kind of hard to kind of sum it up Mm, um but it's all organic and and it's very kind of against the use of fertilizer and pesticides so it's very in tune with nature Mm -hmm. and working with her rather than against her Mm. um yeah it sounds really good mm. it sounds like is is there a difference between that and agroforestry or does agroforestry fit into that somehow it can yeah it comes into it yeah so um a lot of the work that i did in my permaculture project within the summer was to do with building food for well creating food forests um and agroforestry so um again i suppose animal agriculture put the spin on it that you can do that with animals but you can also do it without and it works really well 
Um, mm. But yeah, that would also come in, you know, within an, under the permaculture name, really. Okay. Um, yeah. So with permaculture, um, the, the things that I've seen on it, it generally tends to include animals. Um, I don't know if I've seen like stuff that's quite dated or, but there's usually animals in the mix somewhere because, you know, they, um, their waste products yeah. can be used as fertilizer and things like that. Are animals still quite included in the permaculture picture, do you think? Yeah, I would say that that is the mainstream permaculture um, ideal is that you'd expect to have animals within the system. Um, and whilst there are becoming more and more vegan permaculturists, I'd still say that they're met with some kind of scrutiny and like, you know, people are quite sceptical of the idea that you can do it without animals. Um, but I have seen systems that do work without them and they, they work perfectly fine because there are sort of alternatives that those vegan permaculturists are using instead of kind of, you know, waste products from animals, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say that you would meet some resistance if you were, I guess, I don't know, because they've been doing it for so long in that way. But they would probably say, oh, it can't be done like that. But I have seen examples of them without mm. yeah, without animal use. Okay, can you give us an example then of um, how some different parts of this this little ecosystem that would fit together so we can get an idea of how it might work? Yeah, so um, what you can do is you can grow plants in different sizes. So, for example, you can grow, um, as we mentioned before, like agroforestry, you can have uh, trees, so you can have like an orchard in one part and then beneath them you'd have um, plants that thrive in the shade. Um, which are then also adding nutrients back into the tree, etc. And what you tend to do with permaculture is you'll have plants that um, will grow quite, you know, recover quite quickly that you can take from daily and you have those close to your house. And then as you go further and further away from your house, you'll have plants that will grow kind of more slowly, um, essentially so that you're always able to um, go out and if you were just feeding one house, for example, always go out and collect that food that you'd need for that day. Um, But plants certain plants will grow together really well so you can get like companion plants that Mm -hmm. one will release i don't know more phosphorus and that's what that other plant beside it needs and one will provide more shade and that's what you know that's the kind of conditions the other plant needs so there's a lot of that a lot of it is quite old knowledge um but it can be you know a lot of people still hold that knowledge and it can be revived Mm -hmm. um but yeah so it all works really well and you can use and allow sort of animals that are wild to kind of utilize the system because even them playing their parts of their lives can actually really contribute. So birds, for example, them, you know, eating the seeds Mm of the fruit from a tree and then uh, depositing the seeds elsewhere in their droppings, that can really benefit the system. So it's still encouraging like wildlife within the -hmm. system and working in that way. Yeah. So what sounds ideal to me right now then is like a vegan permaculture sanctuary. Yes, yeah, that would be uh, that'd be, that'd be the dream as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if the, yeah, I don't know if there are any because I'd recommend them to anyone listening, but I don't know if there are any that have a sanctuary with them as well. Um, but yeah, the, I think that that would be something that would be really interesting to look into if there are existing sanctuaries mm-hmm. that could benefit from some kind of input from you know someone who knows something about permaculture and kind of rewilds the land i mean i'm sure a lot of sanctuaries do have some wild land anyway but yes just yeah. to kind of it sounds like it's 
the way to restore the earth to how it you know should be because nature had all this stuff worked out mm-hmm. nature knew like ecosystems work because uh you know all the parts interact properly it's only when we came along and kind of turned things into monocultures yes. and slashed forests and all this kind of thing um which has only go, really yeah Yeah, recent you know um development Mm. because before we were using more of these traditional methods maybe not in the way that nature intended but more like it than what you know what we are currently and so renewable technologies then things like um solar panels and wind power i guess that would fit into this picture as well yeah it would yeah and obviously um it depends what kind of future people would want but if we wanted any kind of modern future or you know anything like what we're living now um we really need to transition to renewables if we are able to kind of sustain that lifestyle um a lot of permaculture places that i have been to do use small scale renewables on their land um so you know they'll have like a small turbine or whatever and they're able to generate some electricity um but yeah it is very much linked that you would kind of you know, a lot of these people have got dreams that they would be able to completely sustain themselves from the land with their own renewables, etc. cetera, um, mm-hmm. involved in that as well. Mm. So it sounds like this kind of uh, system would work on a small scale for like maybe a couple of people or a small community. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, we've got a lot of people to feed on the planet. Um, mm-hmm. Is this something that could be scaled up enough to feed everyone yeah so I ever the optimist do believe that it could you know it could be um something that could be scaled up so there are some projects in America for example that are doing this on quite a large scale and are feeding quite a large amount of people um from their land I do think to some extent it would depend on um the quality of the soil you have existing and the climate you have existing in that area but there are some projects that have, you know, higher crop yields than what they would if they were growing monoculture, um, you know, crops, for example. So they're actually getting a lot more off the land than if they were to be doing it in that way. And that's, you know, something to be spoken quite highly of because that's quite a challenge to be able to produce that in an organic way. But I have seen it being done. Um, but yeah, so I suppose I'll be able to tell you a bit more later in the year about that. But yeah, there are, like I say, there are projects that are going on in the US and in the world where they are able to feed a lot of people. So I am positive mm-hmm. and well optimistic, really, that there is something we could do that would be able to mm-hmm. feed feed the world. And yeah, yeah, I think. Way. I mean, I think it would be possible because whenever I start looking at how would we get out of this climate mess. It seems to me that it comes back down to, you know, with capitalism, everything's being centralized. And what we need to do is actually start breaking things down again, because, you know, I I imagine a lot of different smaller communities that are networked and helping each other Mm -hmm. um, when needed. So one community might have certain resources that the others rely on and you kind of trade things that way, but not requiring... Mm -hmm. The, the capitalist who uh, takes everything, all these resources into their big, massive warehouses and then processes them and sends them out again. It's more about bringing, bringing the power back to people. Um, and if people yeah. can think more 
you know, you can see what's going on in your local area. You can um, work with uh, a few hundred people in your own community. And I just, I feel it's so much more human in a way that um, we're able to know what's going on and be involved with our neighbors and things like that and, and, and working the land amongst us. Almost, I guess, um, mm-hmm. cooperative working would be kind of like a transition maybe away from capitalism towards that or maybe different cooperatives. Yeah. There's so many different ways, I guess, you could do it if you look at different kind of anarchist ways. But, you mm-hmm. know, something's yeah. got to this kind of uh, capitalist resource plundering is just that's the thing that's causing the crisis yeah yeah it definitely is yeah um and i think as you've kind of mentioned there i think you know being able to re-reach out to your community i think it's really important i think we have almost lost that um in more recent years i think that if you were to ask a lot of people they wouldn't actually really know their neighborhood and i think that's something that's really quite sad um, and I guess it's because we're living such such like individual um, lives where we're rushing around all the time and it's very uh, capitalist kind of life that we're living, really, um, that we don't always have time to reach out to our neighbours. So I think there's almost something in the social aspect that would be like quite important to recapture as well, um, mm-hmm. of being able to help each other and, and get to know each other yeah. again. Absolutely. Just, yeah, you know, yeah, just get into... To work together to feed yourselves i think mm-hmm. there's so much power in that and and that's where the food justice things come comes into it um you know if you can make sure that everyone in your community is getting fed and if you've got control over the means of that that farming r- rather than relying on supermarkets uh, i just think there's so much mm-hmm. there that we could explore you know and it's a real key to moving forward. And actually, as things get worse and supply lines become disrupted and we're in late stage capitalism anyway, I think things are breaking down. So we might as well just start rebuilding these communities now. Yeah, and I think um, kind of it's the easiest way to get power back to the people. I say that it's still, you know, there's still challenges yeah. there. But um, I think to some extent, it's one of the, the easiest things that you can do from home um and it's almost like the first thing of step of resistance isn't it to be able to grow your own food and re- remove yourself from paying into that system that is so exploitative in many ways um so i do think it's you know if you are privileged enough to have the land and have some kind of resource i do think it's a really good way of the first step of resistance to do yeah 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 absolutely that's a good that's a good way of putting it it is it's yeah growing food as a first step of resistance i like that Mm -hmm. um that's Mm -hmm. actually while we're talking about what you can do at home um that's quite interesting is there anything that can be done on a really small scale so say i've got uh just a front lawn i guess it depends on soil quality and stuff like that right but is there more that we could be doing in our homes to kind of start doing this kind of thing with growing our own food yeah, so I think it's obviously the challenge of, like you say, if you've only got a small um, access to a small space of land, you won't be able to grow 
all that much in a, in a sense to be able to sustain yourself but um there are things that you can do and if you were able to share that food with others and then them be doing the same thing you could eventually end up with quite a good uh source of food um so things that you can grow in your garden that are relatively like low maintenance are sort of fruit bushes uh really good for wildlife as well providing natural habitat um you can actually grow some kinds of mushrooms quite easily as well um there's okay. vegetables like perennials that kind of thing but I do think if we were able to build again go back to the community thing if we were able to reach out to our neighbors and each grow different things you'd end up having quite a good source and a good connection with other people to be able to share mm-hmm. food um yeah. so I do think yeah that's mm-hmm. quite a lot of power in that yeah and and the way I see it what would be great is everyone's growing bits of food and then there's also a bit of communal lands that people can tend to and things and there's also Mm. a community kitchen where people can cook the food and anyone can go along there and eat so if you happen to be someone in the community who's kind of struggling a bit financially or whatever so that everyone's always getting fed you know that thing of coming together and eating food together I think is so powerful as well yeah once again i think it is something that we've um lost i don't i don't really think that that's something you'd come across very commonly anymore and it's it's a real shame mm-hmm. um i think it's almost like there'd be a shock of like oh what you know eating with strangers and yeah i think it's such a every time i've experienced that i've had such positive um experiences from it it's been you know something really good so i think you know if we can get back to that in any way of rebuilding communities and spending time with them we'd actually be pleasantly surprised at how mm-hmm. much we have in common with other people mm-hmm. absolutely yeah so going back to the permaculture then i take it then that vegan permaculture is probably quite a small minority maybe seen as a kind of little niche movement within the wider permaculture diaspora i suppose yeah, um, it is, but like I say, it is kind of growing. So um, there are people now that are, are daring to kind of do their own thing and see how it goes, and they've had really good results. So the place where I did my learning and my training, um, that was a vegan, completely vegan permaculture site. Uh, they had really good success with what they were growing, and they also had like a herbal garden. They were able to grow quite a lot of resources in that way so um there are ways around it i think obviously they say that the biggest barriers are things like not being able to have access to animal waste and uh kind of they say oh the soils won't be turned over as much etc but there are ways around it so like encouraging wildlife onto the the land where they should be you can actually turn over the soils and you can actually get alternatives to using animal manure anyway um so you can use something called green manure which is like a cover crop and you can still rebuild soils in the same way that you would with animal manure. So there's still ways around it. There's also quite a lot of challenges with using animal manure. So um, say, for example, if that animal has ever been unwell and they've ever had administration of antibiotics or anything like that, that can go back into the soils and it can last quite a long time and actually kill natural microorganisms in the soil. So there's quite a lot of negatives for you know using that kind of mm. thing anyway. Mm. um but yeah there are ways Mm. around it okay that's interesting yeah i hadn't thought that animal manure was so important to Mm. agriculture because is it still used a lot in kind of big animal ag or is it just fertilizers and things that they use uh, I wouldn't say it's commonly used as much anymore, no, because no, I suppose you can buy um, the chemical version and it's much more highly concentrated. So I would say it's not commonly used okay. anyway, really. 
Yeah. So, but in like a, a lot of permaculture setups, because it's a smaller setup, they would want to incorporate the animals and, and I guess get a lot more um, from, yeah, they'd get a, they need a supply of manure, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess it's, it's kind of like an easy thing for them. It's kind of that's that thing about the animals are, uh, will eventually be, some of the animals will be eaten. But while they're yeah. here, they're providing manure and they're eating waste food and stuff, I guess. Yeah. And there's definitely the viewpoint of, oh, well, they're having a, a, a lovely life because of the setup of the garden and the land. And there's very much that's all very idyllic. Um, still that kind of viewpoint in permaculture, I'd say. been involved in i think you mentioned extinction rebellion and animal rebellion then so extinction yeah. rebellions uh, climate justice really so that's obviously something you're quite uh, keen on being involved in yeah yeah so um i i think i went to their first ever meetup day so i was involved very early on with extinction rebellion and then i kind of haven't done as much more recently but um yeah it was all very much that I didn't couldn't really see any other movements that were working in that way that I, I could have as much of an impact as what they were seemingly having at that time. Um, so, yeah, I was very involved with them. I think I went to their first sort of week of action as well. And um, more recently, I briefly attended Animal Rebellion as well. And that mm-hmm. happened in October. And what do you think in terms of the climate justice movement? Are we getting places Um, It's hard to say because of the greenwashing thing. So I suppose a lot of companies make out like they're being uh, creating positive change because they're under so much pressure from the public um, when actually it's not positive change. You know, it's just uh, covering up things in like a nice you know shiny coat of paint whatever but they're not actually making change um i'd say that i suppose the climate emergency announcement was a big step um but then it very much depends on the government to act on it and as of yet we haven't seen any changes um and we're still you know bypassing all our goals of of our um you know co2 release really Mm -hmm. like all our kind of outputs haven't really reduced so there hasn't been much of a reaction or you know anything taking mm. place from the announcement yeah and there seem to have been quite a few of these like climate summits and things you know that Greta Thunberg will show up at and and I just get the impression that these politicians and people in suits are just completely like willfully ignorant I don't know what they're talking about yeah. but they're not talking about what needs to be done clearly <laughs> No, uh, no, they're not. No, um, and I guess a lot of it will be put on like the per, like each individual as well. And I think they kind of mm. uh, ignore the fact that people high up in government are getting quite a lot of money out of fossil fuel industries, and there's a lot of um, behind the scenes shaking of hands on you know deals. There's a lot of mm. uh, things going on that kind of explain why there might not always be action, especially from the government side of it. I do think. Um, when it comes to, like the IPCC and that kind of thing, I do think although they are genuine climate scientists that want change, but then they're just being held back by the lack of governmental action, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't, I, 
it's so frustrating to uh, see, you know, what, what's going mm. on and then such a little, little response. Because I have seen... It's devastating, I not even. Yeah, I mean, it's... And, and obviously in the UK, we're kind of lucky as citizens because we're not really feeling the effect. I mean, mm-hmm. we're not we're not suffering as much as a lot of people are mm-hmm. in the world from the climate crisis yet, but mm-hmm. ultimately everyone's going to be affected. And I think that's almost it, that injustice um, and the inequality of how the effects of climate change are carried out is almost one of the reasons why we're not acting on it. I think if it was all happening in our backyard, we'd be a bit more mm-hmm. like we need to actually act on this, whereas you can turn a blind eye to, you know, other places in the world that are more heavily affected um just because it's not visible and we can't supposedly Mm -hmm. see it yeah yeah that's right so you mentioned greenwashing there um there's a lot of talk about like a green new deal and i think that's i get the impression that's what um extinction rebellion are actually after right um they would support a green new deal they think kind of we can get we need businesses and industry on board to be able to create the new, you know, like all the new green tech to get us out of this mess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd say, yeah, I'd say that they would support that to ex- an extent. But even within XR, there's so many uh, divisions. So I'd say a lot of people actually want a completely different future to that. But I think, I suppose, when you're trying to be realistic as to what you can achieve i guess they just think that would be the second best thing is to mm. um have this green transition into mm. you know living the same way of life but in a better way yeah it's that it's kind of that thing about you either break the system and create something brand new mm-hmm. or reform the system yeah yeah, yeah. definitely is so mm, it's a difficult one i mean i don't think capitalism can be reformed we need a new a whole new way of thinking really it's like it's an ideology really isn't it capitalism yes it is yeah and um as i've I've said to you in the past um you know there are some massive dangers with green capitalism and with greenwashing um of us being convinced that our choices are better uh just mm. because of the way that they're being presented to us when actually the oppression is just shifting from one species or community to another one um mm. and it's never really completely breaking the cycle really um so you know our clothing lines for example we're being told that the fabric's changing all being produced more sustainably and um whatever but you know still in the background there's still all those exploitative systems going on and Mm. mass consumerism will never be sustainable no matter what Mm. we're using yeah that's it i think we we have to well in the west anyway uh, i can only speak for kind of what i i know around in the uk and europe but yeah we need to start unlearning our consumerism in a way mm-hmm. you know like just start starting start doing with I'll try start doing with less <laughs> Try to figure out how the best to say yeah, <laughs> yeah get used to having less get used to wanting less um and there's some moves towards that but and i know a lot of it is pushed back onto consumers and obviously our choices do matter but there's such a you don't see the corporates really making significant changes. Like, for example, plastic in supermarkets, you know, mm-hmm. th- there's there's been a handful of small changes. Like, I don't think that there's less plastic in my local Tesco now than no. it was five years ago. 
No, and I I almost don't think the there will be in like you know in another few years. I don't really think it mm. it will change because they say oh we've switched to this material. It's another kind of form of greenwashing. They say oh we've switched to this new material, but it's still um, unnecessary basically. Mm. But it's just so ingrained in uh, the way that they process food. I suppose that mm. it's yeah, it doesn't seem to be breaking. Yeah, it needs to be a total rework of the whole food system. Yeah, that's the only thing that that yeah. will really change things. Yeah, yes, definitely. Okay, so speaking about changing the food system, actually, uh, Animal Rebellion are kind of, that's their thing, isn't it? They want a plant-based food system. That's their, their demand, right? Yes, it is, if yeah. I'm not mistaken, yeah. So do you think, um, have they got like a, have they got a kind of strategy in place or suggestions of how that might happen? Or is it just like, almost like a symbolic demand of, we need change, we need a plant-based food system? which is also okay, but I just wondered if there was anything more to it behind the scenes. So, yeah, when I was um, working quite closely with them, there was um, a strategy. It didn't really go on much more than um, potentially just a couple of years, really, of the transition, Um, but there was quite a set strategy, but whether that's changed any more. So it wasn't really a symbolic demand. It was kind of supposedly backed up but I did quite a lot of research for them so I was trying to look at what a plant-based system would look like in the future Mm. um so I guess in a way at one point I was kind of the forefront of what we needed to do I I didn't Mm. end up carrying on with that role but um we were kind of looking Mm. at how it would look and then how to get there so there was some Mm. form of yeah strategy there okay can you give us an idea then of what it might look like yeah so um we it's obviously really difficult, isn't it? Because I think if you were to say overnight, oh, plant-based system, I think the the whole country would be in a, in a riot, basically. But yeah. um, the the things I was looking at were kind of things I've included, sort of mentioned earlier. So um, helping, and as well as helping farmers to actually switch from animal-based farming to plant-based. So there's a few examples in, again, America, where they've helped convert um, these animal-based farms into plant systems. So we were looking at that. We were looking at uh, vertical farming, hydroponics, all of that. Um basically every single way that we'd be able to reduce air miles and be able to create enough food within the UK to feed everybody Um, and what we did actually find is that we would be able to feed the whole of the UK I think on something like a third of the agricultural land that we have available so Mm. it would be possible Um, but obviously it'd be quite a radical change to what we would be yeah but yeah, that's, but that, that's what we need, though—a radical change. Yeah, you know, of course. That, that, yeah, that's yeah. That's what it has to happen. It's just that the government doesn't want that because business and government are profiting off, you know, the way things are at the minute. Yeah, 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 and it's yeah. it's as we've said, quite a hard thing to break. Um, I think it's particularly become noticeable to me at kind of how many yeah back backstage things are happening with people shaking hands for example like our local mp runs um a massive pig farm and industrial uh unit within worcester um mm. and he is actually an mp so i think i've almost seen that happening on other scales as well so even within the main government i have heard of that um mm. so i think there's obviously those ties yeah yeah the meat industry really have got their hooks in Yes, and, and they've had—I mean, they've had so long to do it, right? Yeah, of course. And yeah, yeah. They've got so much money, and yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all. And I guess a lot of um, 
a lot of MPs, especially the conservative ones, come from, you know, rural areas, mm-hmm. um, traditional backgrounds. Put it yeah. Like that, you know, far, they're, they're, they're probably quite uh, linked into farming. I was glad to hear, though, that Animal Rebellion had done some real work on that, you know, some having some practical steps backed up so this isn't just uh, so that people can't say, well, yeah, how are you going to do it? Oh, well, we don't really know. Instead, say, actually, well, here's some ideas, okay? It's never going to be necessarily, you're not going to have the, the solution straight away and it's going to change as you go along. But I think in the animal rights movement, what we don't do very well is provide practical solutions not that we should be the ones making the changes but it would Mm -hmm. be good to say well instead of doing this you should do this yeah and I think that's one of the things I've really enjoyed about permaculture is that it is a solution to some extent and to some problems um so even with you know kind of capturing carbon and that kind of thing there's just solutions in place so I do think Mm. um that is something that we need to have a think about like you say more within the animal rights movement definitely Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. I guess within Animal Rebellion, I was lucky enough to work with really good scientists, actually, that had done a lot of studies on how much land we'd need, what uh, resources we'd need to be able to support people, you know, a, a huge population mm-hmm. on a plant based diet. And they had quite a lot of information on it. So there's a lot of research going on um, in other areas, you know, within universities and things that perhaps we could benefit from looking at. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah definitely. That's good. That's encouraging then. Um, Okay, so whenever I discuss animal rebellion with someone, I always bring up the thing about the police. Yeah, I was about to say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So how did you find um, the animal rebellion stuff went when you were taking part? Um. Yeah, so really really good bunch of you know well-meaning people um I don't think that they would have ever done anything that they did in the way that they did if they knew the kind of um problems it could bring um but yeah so there was quite a few things that I I noticed which one of them was that in the morning the police that had been trying to arrest people overnight and hadn't been protecting us from potentially dangerous situations were um chatting to the animal rebellion members just you know really casually and Mm -hmm. trying to do what I've seen them do a million times and get as much information out of them as they could and people weren't really aware of the risks and were just you know quite happily talking to them um and then obviously that developed into actually singing to them um and kind of saying about how we're all on side and we should be in alignment with them etc um which understandingly and rightfully so caused a lot of outrage within the animal rights movement Mm. um and i did struggle with that at that point i didn't get i wasn't even there I just had to leave because I was like I don't understand how this is happening mm-hmm. um and especially because the police weren't even trying to hide their disdain they were literally just like laughing at mm-hmm. um the people in the crowd and you know quite happily arresting people every few minutes you know so there was no mm-hmm. um it wasn't even like they were even trying to act as though they were on side so I don't understand how it went on as long as it did mm-hmm. and where was this was this at the meat market so um, first action or yeah so the thing where i saw a lot of people talking to the police was at the meat market which was when they had allowed um us to have quite a few problems with the people working there um and then at the time when i think everyone was chanting and singing was when there'd been quite a few arrests at defra so um mm-hmm. a, a friend of mine had uh kind of 
gone ahead and kind of done a, a lock on on Defra, um, had been arrested, and then people were singing, "Well, we love you, police," etc. To the police, and they were literally just, yeah, they they couldn't stop laughing. They just thought the whole thing was ridiculous themselves. And I was like, I don't see how this, a like, you know, gives us any credibility, and b how the how this is standing in solidarity of people that have been affected by the police system. You know, I just yeah. I really struggled. I, I spoke out about it a couple of times, and I was told that um, we're all human beings, etc. But I was like, we have to look at the history of the state, and oh, I don't know. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. My viewpoint, my viewpoints weren't really listened to on that. No, um, I think obviously since then there's going to be another rebellion, isn't there? And I think it's May is the extension. I believe so. Rebellion. Yeah. yeah. So since then things have moved on quite significantly. Obviously, the Tory government has like certainly uh, sealed the deal on getting their hands around um, everyone's throats. And they've yeah. they're putting through they're basically cracking down on terror laws, and there was recent news that there's an animal rights activist who's in jail, who's been told that they're also going to be considered under these changes to the terror laws that they could be kept in jail for longer than was originally planned. I have heard, yeah, you know. I have heard that. I, I didn't um, have the opportunity. I only saw it earlier today. I didn't have the opportunity mm. to properly read through it, but yeah, I did hear that. Mm. that. Yeah. So there's been. So I would expect that in the next animal rebellion, that they will have learnt from these criticisms of how they've handled the police thing. Mm-hmm. And they'll look at the situation in the UK at the moment and realise it is a very unsafe place to be an activist. Yeah. And that in no way should you be condoning any kind mm-hmm. of appreciation for the police. And when you get arrested, this is me having a little rant, by the way. I'm just kidding. When you get arrested, don't fucking smile and make a fucking laugh out of it. Yeah, yeah, I know. And um, it was almost like, not really with Animal Rebellion because we didn't have as many people, but especially with XR, it was get as many people arrested as we can. Um, That was actually one of the goals at one point to try and actually fill every single prison cell, which they did succeed in doing in the entire of the UK. There was no more cells left. Um, And I don't think people were really taking it into consideration, I suppose, I don't know the effect the psychological mm. effects etc um the mm. fact that we were let, giving them our personal details for actions that weren't really always changing things so um mm. people were getting arrested on I think there was one action within Extinction Rebellion where people were painting things on the wall painting the hands red and handing themselves into the station just yeah. I don't know if you saw about that um, I saw the and it's for just it, yeah. yeah and it was just like you know, if you are going to get arrested uh, for a good cause, you would want it to make change mm. before you start giving all your details to the station and making yourself known um, mm-hmm. to them. Yeah, it just seems to me to be such a counterproductive way of activism to actually right at the start make it one of your main goals to hand over yeah. all your activist details to the police by mm-hmm. giving yourself up for arrest. It's like that you you should want to stay, yeah, stay incognito as long as possible. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, is you'd want to get as much done and then it would only be when you really can't back down and you want to make a stand that you would allow that to happen. You wouldn't want it to be 
right some of them were you know been there for two days first activism they'd ever done and were getting arrested and I was just like it's not really mm. the right I don't know currently at that time wasn't I didn't think it was the right thing but mm-hmm. it's their decision of course but yeah yeah okay well we'll we'll soon find out in May I guess mm-hmm. what do you think then about the current state of play within the animal liberation or animal rights movement or vegan movement i don't know what to call it right now but whatever I know, it is. yeah it's like two <laughs> different things isn't it yeah mm. um so i would say that we had some really good success from the action that i unfortunately couldn't attend the other week but um the direct action everywhere i'd say that that was a really positive thing that's happened mm. recently so that was like I think they stuck to their messaging really well. I think they had a really good outcome from that. Um, I'd say there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of kind of people don't really know where they stand in terms of it being vegan movement, animal rights. I think it has become a bit of a divide um, in other respects. So I'd say um, there's still a lot of hero, unfortunately, hero worshipping, I hate to say it, but going on. Um, And I think a lot of people are what we would all say are more like plant-based than they are about animal rights so i think um going forward in actions that we do we do need to stick to that clear anti-speciesist messaging rather than go vegan for like a temporary basis if you know what i mean so we need to like make it clear that we don't consider them commodities etc and that Mm -hmm. they are who they are and individuals i think that needs to be quite a clear message that we Mm -hmm. have going forward um Mm -hmm. yeah yeah what do you think well I would agree with you on that DXE action. Um, And just for anyone listening Mm -hmm. who doesn't um, know what we're referring to, this was DXE action in the UK. Um, Where was it again? I know it was in England, but somewhere down south. Um, It was. I don't think it was Kent, but it might not have been far. I don't know if it was around that area. Okay, so south of England. And uh, I think, so, I mean, the best thing uh, that happened is that actually... The activist walked out with 50 liberated chickens uh, with agreement from the farmer. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, they agree. They agree. Yeah. yeah, so so that was one of their demands that we'll leave, you know, but we're taking chickens with us. And, and I don't know if we've seen that in the UK before, other than on a large scale anyway, other than at the Meet the Victims Northern Ireland, which was a few weeks before that, where they liberated a pig with permission of the farmer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think those are the only two accounts I've heard of that actually mm-hmm. ever happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I'm sure there's been negotiations maybe that you haven't seen on social media mm-hmm. back in the past and yep. things like that. But in terms of these kind of um, these walk-ins where people go in and it used to be just get some footage um you know, and stay there till the media gets there. And obviously liberation would be one of the ideal things, but it hasn't happened until these two actions. Uh, If anyone's listening and I'm wrong, please let me know. But I think, so in a way I see progress in that because that's two occasions where the farmers have gone, yes, okay. that you can think of that have happened that have made you think yeah that's good you know that's progress 
Um, well, I think the start, I haven't really seen any of the actions they've done as of yet, but I think the start of this um, 2020 group, if you've seen about mm-hmm. them, they've got um, yeah. quite good messaging. And I think from what I can see, good plans, you know, a good strategy for this year. Obviously, it's all behind the scenes currently, um, but I think that will be progress, definitely. Um, mm-hmm. I think there's things to be learned from XR and how many people they've got mobilised. So it's just whether we can get that, you know, to be done on the same scale or not as much, but on a bigger scale than um, AR. But I do think there's a lot of recognition now, more recently, of kind of um, how anti-oppression is a must. And I think um, it is becoming more clear to people about the real meaning of veganism and being anti-oppression. Mm. You know, I think that that's progress. I think that's mm-hmm. becoming more understood. Uh, it should have been a given all along, but you know what I mean? It's becoming more yeah. recognised. Yeah, I know what you mean. I think I think that... Um, people are realizing it's political, uh, which, like yes. you say, it should have always been, and it always has been, actually. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm—I'll be the first to say that when I first went vegan, I didn't think of it as a political thing. I thought about it as my own ethical thing. I didn't want to contribute to that industry. Um, but I'd never really been involved in politics before that very much, and I wasn't—I would say I was up to date with current affairs, but never really um, thought of myself as having an impact on, you know, politics in any way. So it took me a while to um, realize, and it was actually only when I started reading about anarchism that I started to realize what a mess the world is in. And it was actually anarchism that made me start thinking more about veganism in a political way. And uh, I suppose a lot of people have come into the vegan movement through, um, you know, social media, YouTube stuff, diet, whatever. Because it is mainstream in a way and everyone knows what it is. And in the UK anyway, everyone's talking about it. And it's it's kind of quite common for people to be or, or for veganism to be talked about anyway. Um, mm-hmm. but people coming in and not knowing the history of animal rights. Yeah. Um, I yeah. Think that's the problem is people need to start re- reading up and watching videos and trying to talk to people who've been involved in it for a while. Yeah, I think um, that there is, yeah, there's so much to be learned from activists that have got so much experience and um, that have been affected by the state. And um, I do think it is almost our responsibility to actually learn um from them and I don't think we always take up the opportunities that we can I think some of us uh probably me included are quite headstrong and oh this must work because you know it has to kind of thing and we've Mm. not really like considered um the full history so that's something that only recently I've began to think about is like the effectiveness and what's worked in the past and like what have other people experienced and been through and I think that's something that I'm only just recently starting to take on board um, I think we can all be quite headstrong and like, oh, this must be this way. It should work, yeah, etc. Definitely. I, I think because it's new to you, you think that the stuff that's happening at the moment is the stuff that must work. Whereas actually people, yeah. have, you know, there's been a lot of different social movements and there's a lot you can learn from different movements. And this is the most frustrating thing I find when um, people aren't interested in you know, the people are against kind of learning about other oppressions and things is uh, not only can you 
learn how to not be an oppressor or start undoing your own mm-hmm. privilege and so on. But you can also learn from the way other movements have done things. Uh, there's so yeah. much there. So it's not like animal rights is just some kind of, or veganism is just some kind of like uh, um, amazing new age, like convert the world into veganism really quickly sort of incredible movement that's just it's got there's so much we can learn from everything you know yeah I don't always think it is treated like a social struggle I think it is just like um like you say it's this speedy Mm -hmm. thing that we're expecting to uh happen pretty much overnight Mm -hmm. I think I guess we have the instant gratification thing don't we within a society Mm -hmm. where we expect things to happen within a short space of time and Mm. um perhaps we haven't considered how long it's taken for other movements to achieve what they need to that's a good point actually yeah instant gratification and it's the thing that every time you go to the supermarket or go into town there's new vegan options and things like that so it's really easy to think things are happening quickly Mm -hmm. you know and within the last few years in the uk there have been a massive increase in vegan options um mm-hmm. but yeah in terms of social change most people still eat meat every day yeah and uh as we know the numbers are going up for the yeah. amount of animals being used within the system yeah mm-hmm. absolutely um is there anything else you can think of in terms of animal rights or veganism that you wanted to, that you did you have a burning issue that you want to bring up or not? Um, not really, probably that we haven't covered already. I think uh, quite a few people now are getting to be on the same page as, as I've said. Mm. So hopefully um, that can only be a positive thing. I have also seen um, a bit of a crossover from, the climate justice movement of them taking more of an interest realizing on their side as well that it's all linked um Mm. so i think there's connections to be made there and we need to be careful not to like rule people Mm. out when you know they could be allies as well so yeah absolutely i mean the thing is is the people involved a lot of the people involved in the climate justice movement um so they may want to reduce their meat intake or realize that we need to change or stop animal farming for environmental reasons, which at least makes them kind of open-minded to listening to us talking about veganism and animal rights, right? Yes. Yeah. And it's that thing, uh, there's that research that's been done um, that people who care about human rights are more likely to care about animal rights. Oh, right. I haven't seen it. Yeah. I'll link it. I'll link it if I remember in the podcast. I'll send it to you. But yeah, it was done in America and it looks at the states, the states where human rights are more respected, also have better legal protections for animals and things like that. That's really interesting. Um, Yeah. And people are more, people who believe more in human rights also believe more in animal rights. So, and vice versa, you know, unfortunately. yeah, so there's that as well. So, and also, I think when we talk about like anti oppression, linking human rights and animal rights and all the different types of oppression, I also think that we re- really need to massively include the environment in that and mm-hmm. climate justice because, you know, 
even in terms of thinking of the earth as a living organism. And like you were saying, kind of um, at the start of this, um, is that everything is so connected and interlinked. You know, without without the environment being healthy, you know, we're not going to survive. So anti-oppression and like justice for everyone means justice for the earth and everyone living in it, you know? Yeah, and I think, um, you know, the earth is treated like an inanimate object and not she's not mm-hmm. kind of given rights for um you know the rivers aren't given rights for example i did see an article mm-hmm. i don't know where i saw it about how uh i think a lot of people have been trying to fight for um different elements of the environment to have their own rights um mm-hmm. to some extent just because otherwise you know anyone is able to pollute that river anyone is able to do anything and it doesn't mm-hmm. make a difference because you know I don't know. It's 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 really hard, but yeah, it's definitely something that needs to be considered. As should there be rights, you know, should the earth have the, you know, her own rights mm. as well? Yeah, um, that's really interesting. It is. It's kind of like, I think that's the direction we need to be heading in when we're asking for animal rights, is human rights as well, mm. and the right to for the for the land uh, and the seas not to be polluted. Uh, and used as a resource and I guess ultimately that just comes down to again capitalism and getting rid of capitalism which will always see every single thing as a resource and yes. turn um, animate living beings like humans and non-human animals into um, inanimate things mm-hmm. um, and then obviously capitalism looks at the earth as an inanimate thing anyway yeah so we need to remind everyone that that rivers and trees, uh, plants, they're alive as well, you know? Yes, yeah, definitely. And I think, well, I don't know, just briefly get, touching back on um, what I've looked at in my degree, um, we have looked at kind of the commodification process and how that's been applied to a lot of elements of the earth and to animals and it's quite a heartbreaking process to see how they become objectified and, um, you know, tried to be made the same, you know, there's just a lot going on there. And I think um, what they do to animals in the terms of commodification, I think can be seen in the environment as well, I guess. Mm. Um, I don't know. It's kind of hard to explain, but it's definitely something yeah. that I've been kind of interested in reading more about recently. Yeah. Okay. And I mean, we touched on it earlier, um, when we talked about like a vegan permaculture sanctuary, but can you give us a vision of what your ultimate like permaculture setup would be? Yeah, so um, if it was on a personal level, I definitely know what I'd like for that. And I kind of have got a vision of what I'd like it to be like as well for everybody. But um, I certainly would, you know, like land that people could, kind of share from live off um and also have animals have their safe space as well um i think the ultimate goal would be to have everybody utilizing permaculture ecosystems as you know their main supply of of a food source um and so i guess it's almost uh kind of that imagery of like what I don't know these fairy tales and also like um going back to that garden of eden that kind of thing of mm. um basically just restoring justice in the world really it's such mm. a it's such a big vision to have but it seems like such a simple thing of just everyone should have peace mm.